Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, well, we have seen so far in this powerful book that there's a major division between chapters three and four. The first three chapters of the book of Revelation are things that have already happened. But then at the beginning of chapter four, John, he uh, hears this loud voice like a trumpet saying, come up here. And he's caught up something of a rapture. He's caught up. And this loud voice says, come up here and I'll show you things which must happen after this. Well, we come to find out that what he's going to see is how a seven-year period plays out. The seven-year tribulation plays out leading up to the second coming of Jesus and the introduction to the new Jerusalem. And so he's been caught up and he, in chapter four, begins to describe this throne room and this one who sits on the throne. Father God is so majestic and all Uh, beautiful, amazing, and uh, somewhat strange things that he's seeing. Thunders, lightning. I mean, it's a powerful event. And then he notices there's a scroll in the hand of Father God. And the voice goes out and says, who is worthy to open the scroll? And nobody in heaven, earth, or under the earth were found worthy. And John begins to weep. Evidently, he knows, oh, this scroll must be read. This must be read. And so finally, and one of the elders comes to him and says, uh, don't weep because behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, uh, the offspring of Jesse, oh, he has prevailed and he's worthy to open the scroll. And then John saw a lamb as if it had been slain. And thankfully, he takes the scroll out of the hand of Father God and he's ready to open these seven seals. And now in chapter six, the Lord Jesus is about to open the first seal. So notice it says here, Revelation six, verse one. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, come and see. So the seal was broken. The seal was open and the creature says, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. I believe we've just seen the introduction of the Antichrist. Notice it says, it says he had a bow and a crown. So he's got authority. He's been given this position of authority, but he's got a bow, but we don't see his, his arrows. We don't see him shooting anything because he's coming as it were, uh, with a promise of peace. And so, verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard him, when it says he, remember, this is the Lamb, this is the Lord Jesus. When Jesus, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see another horse, 
fiery red went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and the people, uh, and that the people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So what do we see? We see war breaking out on the earth. This Antichrist being this, this ruler on a white horse coming, uh, he's promising peace, so to speak, but all of a sudden, I mean, peace is completely taken from the earth. War breaks out. He has a, it was given him a great sword and people are killing each other and such on the earth. Verse five, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil or the wine. And so what happens here? The prosperity of the world is struck. The economy, the economics of the world is struck. Well, what are these? These are, these are judgments that are coming from God in the tribulation period now. And uh, these are hard times, but they're not as hard as they're going to be as we continue to go through this. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and power was given uh, to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death and by the beasts of the earth. So notice over a fourth of the earth, over 25% of the population of the earth, power was given to them to kill. And it lists that, that they're killed, people are killed with the sword, with hunger. We're talking about uh, poverty, uh, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So normally, uh, not all that many people are killed by the beasts of the earth. But all of a sudden, see, these are supernatural things. These are not only... Uh, wicked human beings who were in charge. I mean, th there are supernatural things that have shifted here during the tribulation period. And uh, this wipes out 25% of the population of the earth. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who, have, who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, who would these people be? Well, I believe these are all the martyrs, all the way back from Stephen, who was martyred back in oh, the, the seventh chapter or so of uh, Acts. All the way through the people that have been martyred throughout the, uh, the first century and throughout the centuries until today. People are being martyred. And in fact, those who will be martyred in the tribulation period. So John, all of a sudden with the fifth seal, he sees, man, there are all these martyrs. And it says, notice that he saw the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. Uh, and it says, and they cried out with a loud voice. They cried out. But he said he saw under the altar 
those souls under the altar. He's talking about in heaven. Their souls are have been separated from their bodies. These, these people are in heaven. But in heaven, they're crying out to God, when will you stop this? When will you avenge our blood? Some of them have been horribly tortured and murdered. And so, notice this, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, then a white robe was given to each of them. Oh, this is the Lord rewarding them and letting them know that what they've done to hold true to the word of God and to preach the gospel and to win other people to the Lord and not to give in to the fear of persecution and such, even to the point of death. He gives them, each of them, a white robe, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. In other words, God knows exactly how many people, even during the tribulation period, will be martyred among believers. And, and so the Lord is telling them, I'm going to avenge your blood, but I'm going to wait until the complete number, until all the martyrs are indeed martyred. And let me tell you, somebody says, why in the world is martyrdom allowed by God? Well, let me just tell you this. One of, and I mentioned this in an earlier chapter, one of the ways we know for sure that that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true is because these men who witnessed the resurrection were willing to be martyred for that story. And, and that has to impact people, especially back in that day when everybody sees that you're your life is on the line. Like we're going to kill you if you don't, uh, if you don't, uh, you know, uh, change your uh, assertion of the resurrection. If you don't say, if you don't admit, in other words, that the resurrection is a fallacy, it, it's a fable. You guys created this, and you're just perpetuating life. You don't admit that we're going to kill you. And when these people who many of them have families like Peter, we know he had a family, a wife, and uh, he may have had children. We don't know for sure, but he certainly had a wife. And when we see them willing to die for that story, the impact that that makes on those people around is a serious impact. And it, it messes with them. And they say, man, if they're willing to die they must have really believed it. It wasn't just some kind of a, a, you know, a story to gain finances from people. No, they believed it. See, martyrdom is a testimony to the world. Jesus suffered to bring us salvation. Uh, but the Bible talks about us as believers also suffering and fulfilling the suffering of the Lord Jesus. And how do we fulfill it? Because our being willing to show our faith in God to the point of death makes an impact on other people and helps them to realize that what we're believing and preaching is absolutely the truth. And so, unfortunately, when God is desperate to win as many people as possible, he allows for us as believers to even give our lives and to be uh, sometimes uh, tortured and martyred. 
to be able to get that message, just like he allowed his son to give his life. He allows others of us, his sons and daughters, to give our lives to bring that message to people. I hope that helped to make sense of this, because certainly as much as it crushes God that his own son was brutally murdered on a cross and yet something good came out of it, us. It also crushes God for any of his other sons and daughters to be martyred. And yet the people that will come from it, the sons and daughters that will come from it, to him, it's worth it because he knows that our suffering is but temporary. And for all of eternity, he will lavish his love. And Jesus even says, if you're persecuted for righteousness sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. In other words, God will abundantly reward you for helping to pay the price, not the price for sins, but the price to get the gospel out. God will abundantly reward you for such uh, bold actions to help win the world to Christ. So, how long, O oh Lord, until you judge and avenge our blood on those? And he said, uh, he gave them a white robe. And he said, a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, were completed. Verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. Now, of course, John's here in heaven in the throne room, but he saw an earthquake. Well, an earthquake is on earth. It's not a heaven quake. He saw a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. Some have uh, speculated to believe that this was not just an earthquake, but a, a volcanic activity. And the ash went out to where the sun became black and such. Well, it could be, but it doesn't specifically say that here. But John is just describing what he saw, not describing every causation of the things he saw. Verse 13, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Folks, this is a shifting like we have never experienced. The earth as we know it has never experienced since the, since the catastrophe of the flood of Noah. The earth has never experienced anything catastrophic like this. And so every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Notice. The people on the earth, and of course, this is the 75% who are left from the 25% who were killed. They realize that the wrath of God is being poured out now. They're, they're talking about him who sits on the throne in the lamb. And they're realizing, oh man, this is God bringing judgment. Watch this. So fall on us, telling the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? The great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And so that's how chapter 6 ends. And you can see how these just roll 
one right into the next. And so here we're going to go into the next chapter, uh, chapter seven. And uh, chapter seven is something of an overlay because not until chapter eight are we going to get to the seventh seal, which is going to break open the seven trumpets. So we're just taking this a step at a time. But I hope you can see and I hope you sense that these things are real. These things are going to happen. The earth is going to be completely devastated. Right now, it seems like God's not even paying attention, but he's paying attention to everything. And when the tribulation period comes, when the judgment comes, let me tell you, this is going to be serious. By the way, let me point something out and uh, before we close, and that's this. Notice that, notice that these martyrs, are martyrs, some of them coming from the tribulation period. Well, if the rapture is supposed to happen at the beginning of the tribulation period so that we don't experience any of this, well, how are there martyrs? Somebody said, well, people must be getting saved during the tribulation. Who's preaching to them? Who's sharing that? See, I just want to show you that, in my opinion, Having read the Bible again and again and again and again and again and again and again, I mean, every year I'm reading through this and the New Testament twice. Let me tell you this. The reading of the New Testament, as I see it, is not indicating an escape from the tribulation period, but that the Lord is preparing us to endure. Just like in the Passover, Moses prepared the people for what was about to happen and while those plagues were coming on Egypt, before they were removed, before they got out and escaped, they, ex they had the exodus from Egypt, they were there while all these plagues were happening. So that seems to be a parallel, the Passover exodus, to what happens at the end of the age. And we're even going to see, as Moses and Aaron show up with Pharaoh, we're even going to see two witnesses I believe Moses and Elijah that are going to show up at the end of the age. And so it seems to me like we believers, though, if I had to vote, I would vote to get out before the tribulation even begins and such. However, it seems to me just reading it and not trying to insert anything into it, but just letting it talk. We don't see that in the reading. You have to pull something from here and there to inserted into it. But notice so far, we don't see anything of us being raptured out. Somebody said, well, what about in the beginning of chapter four when John uh, was raptured? But notice uh, that the Lord said, come up and see what things will take place after this. But notice there's nothing here, and we're going to see in these next chapters here. In fact, in the very next chapter, we're going to see that there are people of God who were involved in this tribulation, part of the people of God, Jewish believers, but also Gentile believers who are in the tribulation period. And uh, in fact, if you read Matthew 24, and I'll close with this, in Matthew chapter 24, reading that whole chapter, Jesus is talking to his apostles and said, when you see this happen and when you see that happen, and he walks them through the tribulation period and he doesn't say, oh, you're not going to see any of this because you're going to be in heaven. No, he says, don't be deceived if this happens and don't be deceived when that happens and, and watch this. And if they say this, don't believe it because this is going to happen. That's going to happen and such. He's preparing them to endure at least 
a major part of the tribulation period. And I think as we go through this, we're going to see something similar. I wouldn't vote for it, but my reading of the text shows that believers will still be on the earth as these things play out. All right, that's chapter 6. Don't miss chapter 7. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.